That's 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson Newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you, as always, on what would have been the final half day, so to speak, of the 2020 winter meetings. We should be in the Omni Dallas Hotel, but we are not. We are here in the Masson Newsroom. We had a full week of shows. Uh, that was your introduction to winter meetings, Brendan. You had never been to a winter meetings in person. Um, I got to say, it was a vastly different experience than anything that I've experienced in a winter meeting. So you didn't get a full taste of winter meetings. But did you at least experience the over-caffeination uh, and under-sleep that comes with a traditional winter meetings? Oh, absolutely. Okay, it, it was a riveting experience in which uh, no big free agents were signed. <laughs> no big trades were made. Uh, it was just exciting all around. That's Honestly, that's a typical winter meetings now. Yeah. Last year, the 2019 winter meetings was an anomaly in that you had literally the three biggest free agents sign on each day of the winter meetings in Rendon, Cole, and Strasburg. That's not how it typically works. Uh, last year was, was a godsend for winter meetings. It was like the best winter meetings they'd ever had, and now they don't have a winter meetings this week. But we made we tried to make it feel like the winter meetings were still going on. Personally, I love the winter meetings, even though every beat writer on the planet disagrees with me. Um, I have a blast at it, uh, even though I get no sleep. So I enjoyed the week anyway. The, uh, the biggest... You know, part of it is just getting to hang out and see all the people that you know and, and have met around the baseball world, and we have we did not experience that. That's the most fun part of winter meetings, but uh, we move on, as we do, and we will be there next year, we hope. Um, we're get, we got a lot to talk about, even though the Orioles did not make a whole lot of moves this week. Just had the Rule 5 draft an hour ago, and the Orioles took two guys. We're going to talk about those two guys and what they could bring to the Orioles roster. We're also going to talk about which top prospects in the system could debut in 2021 and when? We're going to try to predict the exact day of their debuts in 2021. Um, but first, we got to talk about the news that came out yesterday, which was the invitations being sent to Orioles affiliates. So they sent four invitations to bring along four of their affiliates, those four being Norfolk, the tide's continuing as the AAA. If this is, of course, just the, the first step of this process, which is probably going to be long and, and in, involve several steps in which these teams will attempt to become the affiliates for 2021 and beyond. But here's what we know so far. Norfolk received an invitation for AAA. Bowie received an invitation for AA. Aberdeen received an invitation for high single A. They were short season low A ball. And Delmarva received an invitation for low single A. So Norfolk, Bowie, Delmarva remaining in their three spots. Aberdeen going to high A, a spot that was previously held by the Frederick Keys. The Frederick Keys, not done with baseball. They are a, going to be a new member of the brand new MLB Draft League, which, Brendan, I know it, it is sad that um, they, in 2021, and maybe not forever, but in 2021 they will not be an Orioles affiliate, but you still get a lot of baseball at a pretty high level 
with the Frederick Keys being in the MLB Draft League. Yeah, I was talking about this yesterday on the Winter Meetings show. I think this is going to be good baseball in Frederick. I'm excited for it. I always love the MLB Draft every year. I know it's a, an event that could use a little more boosting by Major League Baseball, and I think maybe this is an attempt to do that. But like you said, it should be good competitive baseball because all of the guys who are getting invites to this league are the top college prospects, theoretically, in the country, and they'll be competing to hopefully get noticed by some Major League teams and hopefully get drafted. It's a 68-game regular season, so I believe there will be 34 home games, I would think, at Frederick. So uh, the the All-Star break will be right around the MLB draft, And all of those guys, like I said, are there because they want to get drafted. So they all should be playing their A games, and it should be some of the better college prospects from around the country. So I think it'll be exciting, and it should be fun baseball. Yeah, and you think of some of the guys that the Orioles have taken in recent drafts. A lot of college guys. You think of guys like maybe a Jordan Westberg who was taken uh, recently. Maybe even a Heston Kerstad who was taken in the 2020 draft. Those guys, in theory, would be guys that fans in Frederick could see play in Frederick before they get drafted and maybe even after, depending on what happens. We're hearing that uh, the Orioles are probably going to have two squads down in Florida, down at Sarasota, so that they have a space sort of like the alternate site where they can develop guys. But uh, everything is still up in the air at this point. It was good to get some clarity yesterday. Still nothing 100% for 2021, but at least these minor league affiliates have a little bit more information about what 2021 will look like. I, these, these, a whole community was waiting for this information and relying on this information. Um, and at least they got it at this point before the new calendar year. Yeah. It, it's tough that it took this long. It was a long kind of drawn out process, but like you said, the minor league baseball teams are so important in those communities. And we really wanted to find out, you know, which communities were going to be affected by these moves. But it's exciting for the affiliates that did have the invitations for the Orioles, especially to to continue to be those affiliates. But like we were saying, for Frederick, even though it is disappointing that the affiliate will not be there for the Orioles, depending on how this draft league turns out, I think there's a chance you could see even better players than you were seeing at the minor league level, even though they aren't necessarily going to be affiliated with the Orioles if this draft league turns into a really popular thing for college kids we could see some of the first second third round draft picks just all on these teams so I think this could be potentially even better baseball at Frederick than we were seeing before and all of this is happening without us really knowing what the college baseball season is going to look like for 2021 that is all still up in the air so There may be no college baseball season for a lot of teams around the country, which means that this could be the first that some of the top prospects, some of the top draft prospects are playing in 2021 and really since, the what, February or March of 2020. So it's going to be fascinating. And how it affects the Orioles, I don't know. I have no idea where the Orioles are going to put certain guys, how big these rosters are going to be among the four affiliates that they have sent invitations to. But we'll see. We'll see exactly how things turn out. Um, At least we know a little bit more about what 2021 will look like, and we'll continue to update you guys as as we know more through the coming weeks. Uh, Let's talk about the Rule 5 draft. That just happened. Brendan, your first exposure to the Rule 5 draft. It was streamed, which is, honestly, it was just like a, a streaming a phone call because there was no video. Yeah. 
Riveting. <laughs> Riveting stuff. Dramatic music bringing you in. That was honestly probably the best part. Yeah. Was the music before the actual draft. Like, it was exciting. It was getting you pumped up. And then the screen didn't change yeah. when the draft happened. Honestly, I think the NFL draft could learn some things from the World 5 draft. Yeah. Just have no video, Knock no Knock out the excitement. seven rounds in an hour and a half, you know? Right. I, I think everybody would, would love that. No time on the clock. You just put your draft pick. pick in a Slack channel. Joe Burrow, second pick, Chase Young. <laughs> just put the draft picks in the Slack channel. Yeah. Take away all the suspense. Yeah, my favorite part it's was, great. Did, you, did you enter it in the Slack channel? Did you enter that pick? It's not official. Until Very official baseball things happen. Oh, I sent it in the wrong Slack. Yeah. Uh, brutal. Uh, but that being said, it is an important day for the Baltimore Orioles. As we know, they have taken at least one player in the Rule 5 draft. Every single year since 2005, they love this thing. Um, And it doesn't matter which GM is at the helm. They take advantage of the Rule 5 draft. And there were a lot of picks made around baseball this year, in part, I think, because of the financial situation going on. Rule 5 draft picks are still relatively cheap. And you're really only on the hook for $100,000. That's if you keep them for the entire season. If you don't, if you send them back, you're only on the hook for $50,000. And there's a chance that you could hit on one of these guys. We know the Orioles have taken Anthony Santander. They've taken Joey Rickard in the past. They have a long history of using and taking players in that Rule 5 draft. It's an important draft, even though it's not publicized very well. I think there are going to be a decent amount of players along Major League Baseball that are actually going to make an impact for teams in 2021. And the Orioles took two guys in this Rule 5 draft that I think could potentially break the major league roster for 2021. It's on the surface level. When I first looked at the picks, I wasn't, I was surprised. I I wasn't exactly sure where the O's were going with those two, but the more you look into these two pitchers, I think the better the draft picks look. Well, and the rule five draft is as unpredictable as the MLB draft is and, and kind of, you know, there's just not a whole lot of information about this. There's even less about the Rule 5 draft. And especially without a minor league season in 2020, we really had very little to go by, and teams had very little to go by with this 2020 draft, which is why the Orioles protected six guys out of safety. They wanted to make sure that they kept all six of their uh, top-end prospects and they weren't taken by other teams. But... I, looking at the draft, I mean, I heard of some names being thrown around as potential guys, and none of them were taken, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, none. Uh, we we thought that the Orioles might go with an infielder just because they clearly have infield needs with Hanser Alberto getting non-tendered and Jose Iglesias getting traded. They didn't take an infielder. Nope. They took two right-handed pitchers, and they lost two right-handed pitchers in the major league phase of the Rule 5 draft, Brendan. Let's start with who they got. Yeah, I mean, I did some prep before this to try to figure out who the Orioles might take. Absolute swing and a miss. Just throw it out the window. Not even close. No. Not even close. So the first guy that the Orioles take, right-handed pitcher, Mac Soroller. Am I pronouncing that right? I think I I am. I think you are. I think I am. Nephew of Ben McDonald. How about that? Orioles broadcaster, first overall pick. That's pretty cool. Got to get the official scouting report from Ben at some point on the podcast. Yeah, so Max Roller, fifth-round pick in 2017 out of out of southeastern Louisiana University, 25 years old, pitched in single A in 2019, and that was 
like the head scratcher for me when I looked at it at the surface. He's 25 years old and hasn't pitched out of single A yet. I was surprised that the Orioles took him this high, but he does have some pretty decent numbers. 369 ERA in 26 games, started 20 of them in 2019 at the single A level. The 369 ERA doesn't look amazing, but it's the more advanced analytics and advanced numbers that make Soroller look better. A 26.5% K percentage to just a 6.1% walk percentage is really good. 127 strikeouts, just 29 walks. And when you say 25 years old and hasn't pitched above single A, look, there was a whole season that was missed. And, right. you know, I think that that's important to discuss when we talk about all these guys. And it was something that we mentioned with the guys that they got whether it be Taron Vavra or somebody else or, a, you know, uh, Kevin Smith, somebody that they got in a trade because it looks worse because they're a year older and didn't advance in the system. But who knows what they could have done in the 2020 season. They could, you know, maybe he maybe Max Roller starts in double A and, and is outstanding. So um, it, it's that you have to keep that in mind when discussing this. I noticed also he threw 117 innings, which is typically a lot for a minor leaguer. Um, so he, he got a lot of work under his belt. Um, it, so it may have helped him to have 2020 off, so to speak. Um, those 10 Ks per nine that you mentioned, that's a high number. And that's, that's very strong and very encouraging. And we know that the Orioles rely on advanced statistics. Not that that's an advanced statistic, but that when you're looking at minor leaguers, oftentimes uh, with pitchers, strikeouts are more attractive than a low ERA in a lot of ways. And that's part of the reason that a guy like Alexander Wells, we love him, but he's not viewed as a top prospect, even though his ERA numbers are outstanding and he keeps runs off the board. His strikeout numbers are not gaudy. He strikes out about seven per nine. So scouts look more at, I think, those strikeout numbers than they would the ERA when it comes to minor leaguers because they say they look at it and they say, all right, we can work with this pitch. We can work with this pitch. And he might have been the victim of some bad luck. We don't know what kind of fielding is behind him at the single-A level. Um, but if he can strike guys out, that's a skill that can translate. It's like looking at free throw percentage instead of three-point percentage when you're talking about a college basketball player translating to the NBA. Some statistics, given a smaller sample size and given a, a lower level of competition, don't hold as much weight as others. Yeah, when, how, when you look at how Soroller pitches, the ERA makes more sense. He is a really good ground ball pitcher. I'm getting these stats from fan graphs. In 2018, he had a 50% ground ball percentage. In 2019, close to 40%. So that's just how he pitches. And his fielding independent ERA in 2019 was about a 3.3, which is better than a 3.6. So he's probably a pitcher that forces a lot of ground balls. And when you're in a single A team, the ground balls just aren't going to be fielded as well because that's your level of play. And the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that even though he only got up to single A at the age of 25, he's a college arm. So he was already coming to a professional team a little bit older, and those college arms usually move up the minor league system a little bit quicker because they have more experience at higher levels of baseball. So realistically, in 2020, Soroller probably would have gotten up to the double A level, I would think. I would think. Yeah. So maybe this pick looks a little bit better and makes a little bit more sense, at least on the surface level, if we're looking at Soroller as somebody who made the double-A level in 2020 and is relatively close to making the jump to the majors. I just hope that he makes the team so that we can hear Ben McDonald call a game in which he's talking about his nephew 
my nephew Max a roller. I'll tell you, when he was five years old, I, I, you know, we uh, cried on his first day of school. I won't tell that story on air. You just did, Ben. I'm just imagining a scenario in which he is telling embarrassing awesome. stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about the next guy, Tyler Wells, right-handed pitcher. A year older than Max Aroller. He's 26. He comes over from the Minnesota Twins organization. And, Brendan, before we talk about the stats, what jumps off the page? This guy is six foot eight. We talked about Garrett Crochet on this uh, podcast, a yeah. White Sox 2020 draft pick, being 6'6". Six, six. This guy is legitimately a small forward and a small ball power forward. It's impressive. In today's NBA, that's a small ball center right there. I mean, we hear so much about Tyler Glass now. This guy is two inches taller than Michael Jordan. No, keep fangirling. I'll let you have your minute. <laughs> I don't think we understand how tall 6'8 is. No, you got it. He's a full foot taller than I am. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to do an interview with him. That's all I'm saying. Would it, I mean, would I have to extend the arm all the way up to get the microphone into his face? That's what I want to know. Can I get a box like Ken Rosenthal to stand on to do this interview? Yeah. I mean, just keep rattling him off. Can he, if he's on his knees, would be, he'd be shorter than... All right, go ahead. I think uh, I, w- I was surprised where you went with the thing that jumps off the page. Yes, he is six foot eight. Uh, but an important thing about Tyler Wells is that he had Tommy John surgery before the 2019 season, and that's why you don't see any 2019 statistics for Tyler Wells. So he could have grown in theory. You're, st- you're still on the 6'8 thing. Maybe he's seven foot now. Is, is that how Tommy John surgery works? I, d- I don't think it's not. <laughs> All right. Well, while Paul Googles <laughs> Tommy John surgery, let's talk a little bit more about Tyler Wells. He had a 165 ERA in six games in AA in 2018. So he probably could have gone to the AAA level in 2019 if he was healthy. And this guy might be at the majors already if it not had been for his Tommy John surgery before 2019 and a lost season in 2020. Personally, I'm just as excited for this pick in the second round of the Rule 5 draft as I was for Max Roller. 15th round pick back in 2016 was Tyler Wells. He should be able to make the Major League roster, I think. His numbers look really good. He had a strikeout percentage of 30% in 2018. That's really good. That's very high. Very good. Uh, And the opposite of Max Roller, he is a fly ball pitcher. Induces fly balls on about 50% of contact, and only 3% of those go for home runs. All's wells. That ends wells. I'm just thinking about the fact that we could also You're still on the 6-8 thing. I know it. No, we could have a rotation in Baltimore next year, in theory at some point later on in the season, with two wells in the rotation. Wow. One Wells the at the end of the rotation, all's Wells that ends Wells. Then one I'm of them would have of, to be the number one starter? Probably. So that'd be all's Wells, ends Wells? Yeah, sure. Basically, we're just excited for the puns. Let's get all Wells in the rotation so that we can say all Wells and ends Are Wells. there enough starting pitchers named Wells I can hear in Major League Baseball the to producer have Bobby Blanco an all are there enough wells in major league baseball somebody please let us know well alexander in the comment section alexander has his twin brother he's got a very australian name i can't remember what it is and when this guy got picked i thought is this the wells this the twin brother the other wells well if somebody out there knows if there are enough pitchers named wells in major league baseball to form a starting rotation uh preferably ones that aren't retired please let us know because this is apparently 
what inquiring minds want to know. All right, I'll stop. I'll stop the bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, another guy also that the the innings pitch jumped out to me, 119 innings pitch. That's typically a lot for a minor leaguer. And you do wonder if maybe he had a little bit too much work um, in a minor league season that might have contributed to that Tommy John surgery. It's also funny because, not funny, but it's interesting because the Orioles drafted a guy who recently missed a whole season because of Tommy John surgery, and they lost a guy in this Rule 5 draft who just missed an entire season because of Tommy John surgery, and that's Zach Pop, who came back in the Manny Machado deal, a piece that uh, is a guy that was viewed as a reliever long-term, most likely, had very good stuff, was not protecting the Rule 5 draft. I thought he was going to be safe. I didn't think that team was going to take a chance on a guy who just had Tommy John surgery, but clearly... Teams like the Orioles were willing to take a chance on that. So Zach Pop leaves the organization, and Tyler Wells comes into the organization. Personally, I thought Zach Pop should have been protected going into this Rule 5 draft because if you're going into the Rule 5 draft thinking that you're going to take two right-handed pitchers, I would have just protected Zach Pop and taken one right-handed pitcher because his numbers in the minors have been unbelievable. I mean, a 1-5-3 ERA in 44 games in, 29, in excuse me, 2018, yeah. and then a .84 ERA in eight games in 2019 before he got hurt. The, the thing is, though, he all, I think almost all of that was out of the bullpen. Right. So that yes. just lowers your ceiling a little bit. Absolutely. But it, the Orioles could use another good bullpen arm, and I think Zach Pop would have been close to making the Orioles bullpen in 2020, or excuse me, 2021, I think there are some guys currently on the roster that I probably would have promoted Zach Pop over. So personally, I think I would have protected Zach Pop, put him in the Orioles' bullpen for 2021. I think he could have been able to contribute. Well, and the other thing is we just don't know what the team knows. They know his his rehab process much more intimately than we do. Uh, they, They know what he's capable of. They've probably seen his stuff much more recently than we have, so... Um, at this point, it's just tough to speculate exactly what he was going to be able to contribute. But yeah, on the surface level, I, I agree, Brendan. I think it's it's a it's a gamble. It's a gamble. Anytime you leave anybody exposed in this Rule Five draft, they had to. They couldn't. They they really just did not have room to to keep both Zach Pop um, and Gray Fenter, who was also taken in this Rule Five draft. Another guy that I didn't think was going to be taken in this Rule 5 draft had not pitched above single A and was good in single A, but what is he, 24, I think, at this point? Yep. So another guy like, uh, you know, like Max Soroller that just not a whole lot, not a great track record, not a, not a whole lot of information to go by, but a team was comfortable enough to take him and, and pull him away from the O's. And also keep in mind, the O's could get either or both of these guys back if they are returned at some point. I think Zach Pop probably makes the roster for the Diamondbacks. I would be very surprised if Gray Fenter made the roster for the Chicago Cubs. 24 years old, hasn't pitched above single A. I think this is probably a case where the Cubs are rolling the dice on a guy with a good amount of potential. He had a 1-8-1 ERA in those 22 games that he pitched in single A. So maybe you're hoping that you can fast-track his development a little bit. Maybe he would have been a double-A arm in 2020 if there had been a season. But I would be surprised if the Orioles don't get Gray Fenter back, if the Cubs don't return him, because I 
personally don't think that with this track record, it has shown you enough to say, okay, this guy is going to be ready to make a major league roster. And remember last year, the Orioles took two pitchers in that Rule 5 draft. They took Brandon Bailey from the Houston Astros, and they also took Michael Rucker from the Chicago Cubs, uh, both teams that Mike, well, Mike Elias had the history, of course, with the Houston Astros. Brandon Hyde had the history with the uh, Chicago Cubs, so they knew these guys, having worked with them in the past or drafted them or been a part of that. And they returned both of them during spring training, like a week or so before things shut down, on the same day. And Brandon Bailey ended up making some appearances for Houston, appeared in five games at a 2.45 ERA. And could he have been a guy that the Orioles could have used, a guy with a five-pitch mix, shorter, not exactly ideal stature for a pitcher, and especially a starter? But he came out of the bullpen for Houston and was pretty solid. So it's a gamble. It's a, it's a, the Rule 5 draft is a crapshoot. And the fact that the O's got two guys is great. The fact that they lost two is potentially could come back to bite them. I think the important thing to keep in mind with looking at the numbers for Zach Pop versus the Max Roller and Tyler Wells, Wells and Soroller probably have a higher value purely looking at the fact that either of those could be a starter and Zach Pop is going to be in your bullpen. It depends on how much you value having a solid bullpen arm, which I think Zach Pop has the potential to turn into, or somebody that you're hoping could be somewhere in the starting rotation. So if you think that Soroller and Wells have the chance to be in a starting rotation, then sure, their value is probably more so than Zach Pop. Yep. Solely because he's in the bullpen. Yep. Well, those are two guys who very well could debut for the Orioles. Of course, they have to keep him on the keep them both on their roster uh, for the 2021 season, unless uh, they want to return those guys to their original teams for half the price and sell them back. The other team can decline as well um, if they try to sell those back. So we'll see what happens. Um, that stuff is still TBD and, and won't be resolved until spring and then maybe during the season. You know, guys start the season as World 5 draft picks on another team, don't perform well, and they end up getting sold back. So um, we have yet to see there. Brendan, another segment we have here, who will debut in 2021 and when? We are doing this with no prior, no inside knowledge. No. Um, we, we do most things we were without not, any inside knowledge. This is true. Yeah. We, we were not at the alternate camp. We, you know, have read everything that we can out of those and we have heard everything that we can out of the uh, alternate camp and the uh, about the prospects. We've talked to prospects, but we really don't know who is going to debut next year. And of course, spring training will determine a lot of this as we see what guys look like, as the coaching staff sees what guys look like, what their conditioning was, what kind of improvements they've made. But we can try to guess as to who will debut and when exactly they will debut because I think there are some guys that are locks, pretty much locks unless they get injured to debut in 2021, and then there are a lot of question marks. Yeah. Let's start with the locks, shall we? Yeah. I think, well, personally, I let's start before we get into locks, Okay. I, with the locks of not going to debut next year. Okay. I think it's safe to say Grayson Rodriguez will not debut next year. Nope. I'm going to say D.L. Hall is not going to debut next year. I think D.L. Hall is closer than Grayson Rodriguez, and this I think true. he will debut before Grayson Rodriguez. Probably. But I do not think it will be... This year. Nope, I agree. Gunnar Henderson. Nope. Jordan Westberg. Nope. I don't think Taron Vavra. I think there's a slight chance. Yeah. I'd put it at 3% or 5%. I think Taron Vavra is close, 
And I think it depends on what the Orioles' infield situation looks like. Yeah. If the Orioles are later in the season well, and don't have any answer at shortstop or second base, give Taron Vavra a try. But there's no need to rush him. The other thing is he's been working in the outfield. Yeah. So yeah. Do they view him as an outfielder long term. We just don't know. Oh, we'll talk about the outfield. We just don't know. Guys that I think are close to locks to make their debuts in 2021, I think the most likely guy is probably going to be using Diaz for me. Yep. He is a top 10 prospect. He just he got added to the 40-man roster. He has played two seasons at AA, and he looked good in the alternate side of Bowie. To me, I think they're... And he's, what, 25 years old at this point? Mm-hmm. I think there is a very high chance he makes his debut in 2021. I thought there was a pretty good chance that Yusniel Diaz made his debut in 2020. Yep. He's been... I think a lot of fans thought that. Yeah, he's been hampered by injuries a little bit in the minor leagues, and that's stunted his progression through the minor league system. If it weren't for those injuries, I think he probably debuts last year. Yusniel Diaz, remember, of course, at one point he was the number one prospect in the Orioles system. I don't know how much that says about the quality of Diaz versus the quality of the farm system, but still a really promising prospect that I would be very, very surprised if he didn't make his debut this season. The question becomes with Diaz, how much playing time does he get in a very crowded Orioles outfield? And we had Mike Elias on our winter meetings show a couple days ago, and I asked him also about the outfield, whether he thinks there are enough games, enough innings for these guys, because you still have Ryan Mountcastle, you still have Austin Hayes, you still have Cedric Mullins, you still have DJ Stewart, and you have Anthony Santander coming back from injury. That's five guys right there, depending on how you view Ryan Mountcastle, that could all legitimately see time in the outfield. So when will there be an open spot? And injuries happen, and that's something Elias said, and you can't predict that, and it's it's tough to, you know, you don't want to see injuries by any stretch. But an injury would likely open the spot for him. If there aren't injuries, do you think the Orioles just call him up when they think he's ready? I think you call him up when you think he's ready and just figure out where you're going to play him. Trey Mancini is out of the corner outfield conversation, I would think. Personally, I think if Yusniel Diaz is up and ready to play, I don't think you push Ryan Mountcastle in the outfield. I know he was solid in left field last year, and it gives you more versatility with Ryan Mountcastle if you can put him at left field, right field, or first base. We saw the Orioles do that with Trey Mancini the last few years, and it worked out pretty well, especially with a crowded first base. But if you have other guys like Yusniel Diaz, Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander, that are all quality outfielders defensively, then I personally don't think that you push Ryan Mountcastle and say, okay, go play left field because it gives you more value when you have better defensive outfielders out there already. And that's not to say that one of those guys won't get moved. I think there's a chance that Anthony Santander gets traded. I think there's a chance that Cedric Mullins either gets demoted to that fourth outfield spot or is just moved. So there's still a lot of moving pieces, but... I don't push Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah, I think DJ Stewart is on the outside looking in in this conversation. I agree. So that might eliminate one spot. I think, personally, I think Ryan Mountcastle was serviceable and left last year, small sample size. But I want to see more of it. And I want to, I, I would think that the Orioles, for the same reason that they 
did not want to bring him up to be a DH. I think that they want to have him try to play an outfield spot for as long as possible just to keep his versatility on the table because once you take that away, once you make him a, a first base slash DH permanently, it's difficult to go back and say, hey, Ryan, I know you haven't worked in the outfield in forever, but we want to see you try this in case that spot opens up. You don't know what the... We don't, you know, there are a lot of promising prospects. Diaz is a promising guy. Santander certainly has shown that he's already pretty solid. And you still have Heston Kerstad in the system. And you have Austin Hayes if you want to move him to a corner. But I still would like to see Ryan Mountcastle get an extended shot at in left till he proves he can't do it. And that, that day may come. It, it That day may come. His defense may get exposed next year. But I'd like to see it. Yeah, and I, I totally see where you're coming from there. My thing is just that with these, this crowded outfield, you've got Diaz, and like you said, you have more guys coming up through the system. We've heard that the Orioles are trying out Taron Vavra in the outfield. We haven't talked much about Ryan McKenna. He's a really solid defensive outfielder. And, of course, Heston Kerstad is going to be up in a few years. A few years down the line, I don't see Ryan Mountcastle being one of those better defensive outfielders, better than guys who were natural outfielders, Let's not forget Ryan Mountcastle was kind of thrown into left field because he wasn't going to be playing third base. He certainly wasn't going to be playing shortstop like he was drafted. So they kind of said, okay, Ryan, go out in left field because we don't want to bring you up as a DH. Personally, I think if you can give him as many reps at first base as possible, that is probably going to benefit him more in the long run, even though the versatility isn't there. I see him more long-term as a first base DH guy simply because the Orioles have a bunch of guys who play better defense in the outfield hopefully better defense and we don't obviously as said don't hope for an injury but if an injury occurs this might clear up a little bit of the logjam in the outfield and you might get a little bit more clarity there so we'll see we'll see in in terms of where that happens if you had to guess though when you think Diaz is going to make his debut July 29th I picked earlier I, oh, no, I didn't. Never mind. Two days earlier. I said July 27th. Wow. Another outfielder. You mentioned him. Ryan McKenna. When do you think he's making his debut? I think July 4th for Ryan McKenna. Think he's going to come out on his debut with some American flag socks? That's the hope. I have two guys July 4th. Really? I have Ryan McKenna and Zach Lather. God bless America. You're gosh darn right. Uh, why do you have that for McKenna? Any reason? I don't know. July okay. 4th seemed fun. I think <laughs> I think he's close to Major League ready. I think there's a chance he even makes the opening day roster. He's really solid defensively. He doesn't have the best bat, but I think he is a, a good number four outfielder at that point. Uh, yeah, I, I for now, have opening day. I don't... The problem is I just... I, with Mullins especially, I have a hard time fitting him in, but... He was the he was the traveling he was part of the traveling party in 2020. So they you were using him as a um, extension of their big league roster. Essentially, he was never used and was never brought up. But if if there was an outbreak for COVID and an away ballpark, he could be thrown into a game, thrown onto the roster, and make a spot start. So he was with the team for a lot of the year. So to me, that says that he is close. Um, I just don't know. I don't know if he's a center fielder long-term. I don't know if he's a corner outfielder. Um, and his stats in AA in 2019 were not spectacular. So 
I just don't know where he fits into this picture because Diaz has a step up on him just because of his prospect ranking. Uh, Mullins has a step up on him just because of his production. Santander and Hayes obviously are ahead of him. So where, can he push through and make his debut? I think they want to see what he has. I just don't know when that's going to come. I think if there are any injuries, Ryan McKenna is the first one you call. I agree. Because I feel more confident in Ryan McKenna playing any position in the outfield defensively than I would feel with Yuzniel Diaz doing that. I think Diaz you call up because you want to see what he has because he's one of those top prospects because he has a good bat in one of the corner outfields. McKenna, I think you call up more as a guy who can be a solid defensive replacement if somebody needs an off day. I think Diaz comes up to play every day, and I think they would be comfortable with McKenna as a fourth or fifth outfielder. Absolutely. I agree. Um, Other guys that might make their debuts, got to talk about the pitchers. Michael Bauman, do you think he makes his debut this year? Yes. When? July 10th. Ooh, okay. I don't know. I'm throwing out rant. Basically, the way I broke it down was I thought there were guys who would debut in July, some who who would debut in August, and some in September. The days I just made up randomly. And the the other thing we have to consider, trade. You know, there's a chance if the July 31st trade deadline is as it has been in 2021. No reason not to believe that right now. Alexander Alexander Cobb could be off the roster by August 1st. So maybe a deal gets done, and Alexander Cobb is uh, Alexander Cobb. <laughs> yeah, I was Alex, Alexander, Alexander, Alexander Wells. Alex, Alexander Wells on the break. Yeah. Um, Alex Wells. What am I saying? Alex Cobb. It's been a long week. Yeah. Alex Cobb could be off the roster and on another team's roster on August first, which would open up a spot in the rotation for some of these pitchers to come through. So for me, I have Bauman as September first. I think he's a later call up. He is dealing with an injury this offseason. He's expected to be ready for spring training, but could affect his timeline coming back. Maybe they want to give him a little bit more time to get ready and to get in full shape before the season. Yeah, I have two guys like earlier on in, in terms of promotions being Michael Bauman and Zach Lowther solely because I thought they could have made their debuts in 2020. So yeah. I kind of grouped those two together because I think realistically they could both come up and fight for spots in the starting rotation. Um, another guy in terms of a pitcher. Yeah. Uh, Alexander Wells. You Do you think he is making his debut? I don't think he is this year. I think Alexander Wells is close. I'm and he you. is one of those who has progressed through the minor leagues very quickly. But I think there are just too many pitching prospects right now that are very, very close to the major league level. I have three. I have Zach Lowther, Michael Bauman, and I know we disagree on Kevin Smith, whether or not he'll get called up. Mm-hmm. Alexander Wells, I think, just misses that inside track for getting called up this year. But if he doesn't get called up this year, I think he gets called up very early in 2022. And I mentioned his not slightly less impressive stuff. You know, he gets by as more of a craftier lefty. Um, I think that that could hurt him in terms of debuting because I think you see guys with great stuff make their debuts earlier because a lot of times they can rely on that. And even if they're missing spots, even if they're, you know, a little bit rattled out there, they can still throw a fastball 98 and blow somebody away and get out of a jam. Or, or, you know, with a guy with slightly less impressive stuff, I think it can be dangerous because if he starts to get hit around, it's tough for him to get out of situations. And he just can't rely on blow-you-away fastball, on a drop-off-the-table curveball. 
in order to get out of situations. So I think Alexander Wells, they're going to be careful with. Yeah, someone like Michael Bauman, I would equate more to Dean Kramer. Somebody like Alexander Wells, I would equate much more to Keegan Aiken. Yes. Doesn't have overpowering stuff, but he's just solid. He's He's another crafty lefty. So I think he will probably have a similar shot that Keegan Aiken did, maybe throw him in as the number five starter in the rotation. And if he doesn't work out there, put him in the bullpen. I think I value Alexander Wells and Keegan Aiken in a pretty similar way. I have Zach Lowther just throwing it out there, August 6th. I have no idea when Zach Lowther is going to make his debut. No clue. No, I said July 4th because America. God bless it. Uh, Why did you have Kevin Smith in there? Just curious. Kevin Smith, I... Not like it's shocking, I'm just wondering. No, I think he's going to be a later debut. I have him in September. Okay. But Kevin Smith showed a lot of potential in AA, and I think he is a pretty similar tier to a Zach Lowther or a Michael Bauman. He has a shot to stick in the Orioles rotation, showed a ton of promise with the Mets. The reason that I have him coming up a little bit later than some of the other guys, simply because the Orioles haven't gotten to work with him very much, and I think... If he isn't called up in 2020, I think that's probably the reason why. Not because he's not ready, but just because the Orioles haven't gotten a great look at him because he's a recent acquisition and they just haven't been able to work with him very much. But I think he has the stuff to be in a similar tier to Lowther and Bauman. And that's where he fits in terms of the MLB pipeline prospect rankings exactly. as well. He is right in there, but I'm, I'm with you. I think that they want to make sure that they get a full look at him. They want to be able to work with him. During a season, so I think that he they're going to wait with Kevin Smith until 2022, but that's just guessing. Um, Isaac Matson, I think he is close to a lock for making his debut this year. Pitched in AAA in 2019, comes out of the bullpen. They could always use more, more bullpen arms. June 28th. Sure. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good... I, I have Isaac Matson as opening day. Okay. I think they stick him in the bullpen somewhere. Matson is, of course, one of the guys that the Orioles protected ahead of the Rule 5 draft. We weren't really sure if they were going to. He was one of the ones that was on the fence. I think the Orioles protecting him shows that they think he is Major League ready, and I think he's going to be in the Orioles' bullpen to open the year. I think he will definitely be a fixture in that bullpen if he stays healthy in 2020. They're going to give him an extended look, I think. Ryland Bannon, I have him as May 15th. I think he is a fairly early call-up, especially considering... Right now, we'll see what they do in their infield, but I think they're going to still need guys in that infield at second base and third base. He could fit into either spot. Yeah, I had June 1st for Ryland Bannon. I think he gets called up really quickly because there are holes right now at second base and third base, and I would be comfortable putting Ryland Bannon at either of those spots, and I don't think the Orioles find a solution to either of those spots before that time. We're saving the best, not exactly for last, but one of the best for last. Adley, number one prospect, Rutschman. Yes. Does he debut in 2021? I think he does. When does he debut? September 2nd. That might as well be July 4th because that's Independence Day. Yeah. Yeah. When he makes his debut, can I go up and give an Independence Day-like speech? I think when Adley Rutschman makes his debut, uh, there are mandatory fireworks at Camden Yards. Today is Independence. I grabbed the mic. Camden Yards. I think probably Eric Arditi would do that. I think everyone may need to storm the field. Like on a, you know, like you've seen Independence Day. Tell me yes, I've seen okay. Independence okay. Day. Yeah. How do we get off topic from Welcome Independence to, Day? To alien in the face. Welcome to Camden Yards. He probably could. Sure. So I think he'd make for a great TikTok. I think he makes his debut August 15th. Okay. Earlier. 
than expected, I think. I, I think they want to give him more than a month to settle behind the plate. Um, yeah, I think that they want to give him a, a time to work with pitchers, time to settle himself in the major leagues before he faces an offseason, especially if guys are going to hit their rookie walls. If he struggles for a couple weeks, you don't want that to be a tough first month of his career, and then the whole offseason conversation is, is he going to be able to bounce back from a tough year, you know? I think the interesting case with Adley Rutschman is that I think he actually might have been benefited more from a canceled 2020 minor league season it's kind of what we're than hearing. if he had played a minor league season in 2020. He got to work with better pitchers at the alternate side. Right. Got to work more individually. Some guys, Zach Lather said that he felt he developed more this year than he had in a lot of previous years. Maybe a lot of guys developed more. If there's a minor league season in 2020, Adley Rutschman is probably playing double A, and he is more than likely not catching some of the guys who are going to debut, at least we yeah. think, this year. Because Zach Lowther probably moves up to AAA. Michael Bauman probably moves up to AAA. Alexander Wells probably moves up to AAA. Adley Rutschman probably isn't catching those guys. Yeah. And he's also not facing those guys. Yeah. So I think the alternate site honestly might have been one of the best things to happen to Adley Rutschman. We'll see what spring training brings with him. Are there any other guys that you think make their debuts? Because I think that's it in terms of top 30 prospects. Yeah, I have... Two more. One that I was a little questionable about was Cody Sedlock because he's 25 years old. You would think with Cody Sedlock, they've got to bring him up sooner rather than later because with Sedlock, the potential is there, but he is getting older and you want to see him progress a little bit more. So I think Sedlock has a chance to be promoted into the Orioles bullpen for next season. Then the other one I have is Tyler Nevin. He's not a top prospect, but... I think he could be a first base, third base utility guy. My thing with Tyler Nevin is that if the Orioles don't have a clear solution at third base, I think Nevin could get a shot there. That's assuming that Ryland Bannon is playing probably second if they don't have another free agent there. And I think Tyler Nevin, you at least want to see what you have with him if Rio Ruiz struggles if Yolmer Sanchez is playing second and is kind of more of a utility guy, I think you give Tyler Nevin a shot to be your third baseman. I think those are very possible. And again, these are just guesses. These are just guesses at this point. The closer we get to spring training, we will know more about where these guys stand and what the organization thinks of them. Because our perception of them is probably very different for all these guys than the organization's perception of where these guys are in their development. Just about does it for our podcast. Do you yeah. have anything else you want to add? I think that'll do it. I was a little off the rails today. A little bit, yeah. I, I think too much coffee throughout the week trying to get through the sleep. winter meetings shows. Yeah. yeah. That'll do it. That'll probably do it. Yeah. That'll do it for our show. Of course, you can subscribe, like, share, rate. Please give us five stars. Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Watch it on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. If you don't already watch, if you're just listening, you can watch our faces say the words that we're saying that you're hearing. Uh, you can watch it on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, listen to it anywhere, share, please share with friends. Give us a follow at Paul Mancano, at Brendan Morty on Twitter. And of course, stay tuned to MassinSports.com as Mark or as Rock and Steve have you covered all winter long. Yet to find out what the Orioles are going to do with their infield. Still moves to be made out there, even though winter meetings has sort of concluded. Um, there will be moves to be made, and we will have full coverage on Mass and Social. Thanks to Bobby Blanco, our producer. Thanks to Hannah Broder and Amy Jennings behind the scenes as well. For Brendan, I'm Paul. We'll see you later.